Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. For a lot of people living in Pittsburgh, the Vogues probably need no introduction. Between about 1965 and 1973, they had more than 20 hits in the Billboard Top 50 charts. Founded in Turtle Creek, Pennsylvania, it was four friends from Turtle Creek High School. Bill Burkett, Don Miller, Hugh Geyer, and Chuck Blasco. There is a new disc available from Omnivore Recordings. It is called The Vogues at Cohen C, the complete singles and more. And for the first time, it collects all of their early work that was recorded in Pittsburgh and digitally remasters it. I recently got to visit with Hugh Geyer and his family at their home in Elizabeth Township. Hugh was the original first tenor of The Vogues. We talked about this new CD. We talked about growing up in Turtle Creek in the 50s and 60s and also talked about what he learned from the music business. I was born in 1941. I have, uh, I had a, well, I had an older sister. She passed away last year. Mm. And my, uh, I just had an older brother, younger brother who passed away at the end of this year. So mm. I'm born and raised in Turtle Creek. We don't say Turtle Creek. We say Turtle Creek. <laughs> yeah. And so, unfortunately, all the other original members of Groves, all of the, the Vogues were also born in Turtle Creek. Yeah, all went to the same high school together. Yeah. In fact, Don Miller, one of the original uh, singers, he was like uh, four houses down from where I lived. So, But uh, the reason I, uh, I didn't learn until later that it really became an advantage by growing up together and having the same backgrounds and the same friends and the same atmosphere of Turtle Creek because so many times in our travels we would find groups that one guy was from Chicago, one was from New York, and one was from L.A., and they had nothing in common, you know. But I think that helped us stay, stay grounded by being uh, all from the same area and knowing what we all went through because of being in, in, that, in that, that environment of growing up all those years, you know. We had a very good background. We would play, when we would play outside, we had four or five different mothers looking out for us, and you didn't get too far out of line. And when you got home, parents already knew what you had done, you know. So, and I remember one time we had certain areas that we weren't weren't allowed to go. We had boundaries, I guess you would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And uh, my dad, when it was time for us to come home for dinner, he would whistle the same whistle all the time. And one time I came home late, and he said, "Where have you been?" I said, "I've been out playing." He said, "Well, I whistled for you." Well, I didn't hear you, Dad. He said, and you were somewhere you weren't supposed to be. You know, but there, it was it was a wholesome, wholesome atmosphere. You know, the little grocery store right across the street from from where I lived, and uh, spent our time together. And as we got older into our high school years, did a lot of uh, uh, assemblies and stuff at school. We started understanding our, our love for singing. All, all for, we had we had an original group which was called the Valairs, mm-hmm. and we had a, a fifth guy, uh, Neil Foster. It was in that group, and when we got uh, uh, that group, group broke up, when we did get back together, uh, Neil had a very important uh, commercial art career going for him, and he elected not to continue singing. So that's all the folks went from five to four. So, well, did did anybody was anybody else in your family musical? 
my mother was was next to the oldest of 12 children. And of course, all the siblings and grandkids and, and uh, cousins and aunts and uncles. Singing was a part of everybody's life, not from a professional standpoint, but back in those early days, from an entertainment standpoint. We would have a family reunion in Cocoa and at the end of the day, and this happened for years, from I think five years to maybe ten or twelve years old. Every year we would get together after the after the cookout and gather around the piano, and we would sing the old songs. What sort of songs? What sort of songs do you like, remember? Like down by the old mill stream. Yeah. Okay. Just and every, everybody had to sing. They didn't, didn't care. You couldn't get up and leave to go play. The youngest kids stayed there, and we were all twenty twenty five people gathered around, and we sung. And I think that that, that kind of bonded us together because it was a commonality that existed from that family that started way back when with our grandparents coming forward and being able to still want to gather like that and spend that special, it really became a special time for all of us. What, what did your dad do for a living? My dad, uh, right out of high school, he worked at uh, Nesta Machining in Homestead. Okay. And uh, he was there until he retired. And did your mom mostly was a homemaker? She was a homemaker until my older sister graduated from high school and went on to nurses' calling and became an, R- an RN. So then my mom had to go back to back to work uh, and uh, in order to afford her her schooling. My younger brother he went on to, to college. He went to Indiana, uh, Indiana University. So. so you were born in '41. So that was kind of the tail end of the of the big band era and the swing era. What kind of music were you listening to as a kid growing up? Big band music. Yeah. My parents were. My parents loved to dance, and they would go out to these ballrooms and dance. Yeah. And they would dance to Glenn Miller. They would dance to you know all all, all the top uh, big bands, and and uh, that's what that's what they enjoyed doing. And I started listening to, probably maybe when I was 12 or 13, I started listening to, my, I would have my favorite vocalists or vocal groups, and they were like uh, the Four Aces, the Four Lads, yeah. Four Coins, and rock and roll wasn't really heavy during mm-hmm. the big band days. No, you know? But it filters itself in. It was a change that I didn't obviously recognize, but I kind of fell into by uh, enjoying the harmonies. We all graduated within one year of each other. Don Miller graduated in uh, 58, I graduated in 59, Bill Burkett, the lead singer, graduated in 60, Chuck followed right after that. The four of us, well five including Neil Foster, we had a, a, a liking of the, the harmonies. How that happened, I don't know. So in, in early early high school, we came up with two groups. Bill and I had a group with two other guys, and, Chuck and Bill had another group, and uh, we sang at uh, different events at school. Porky Chedwick played a big part in Bill's group. He would take them out to the, the uh, sock hops and record, uh, you know, places like that. But it's funny when I think of the names. Uh, they were the Delgados. We at the time were the, the decades. Okay. There was no animosity or, or competition between us. Both groups seemed to have the love of what we were doing, you know. And if, if some group had a better success, like the group I was in, the decades, we never went and did any record hops with Porky, but the Delgados did. He mm-hmm. liked them, you know, and uh, and their their sound and stuff. Yeah, it was it worked out really well. And uh, well, you probably weren't old enough to drive yet when you were doing these gigs. No. So did somebody have to drive you? You wouldn't have a parent drive us, okay. or, or get a, get get some uh, some hot rod kid from high school who he thinks he's the only one in the whole building that had a car. 
you know, that he would take his places that we wanted to go. But uh, when, the, when we became the Valeres, still in high school, had had one mediocre record. Our manager at the time, manager that we had, that uh, he used to own, uh, used to own the Twin Coaches Supper Club. Oh, uh, fifty-one. Yeah, yeah. Bill went up, and I think we went with him. Went to to. Uh, make arrangements for his senior prom mm-hmm. at, at the Twin Coaches and uh, told uh, the guy that, that owned the Twin Coaches, Elmer Willett, heard that we sang and, and so we kind of auditioned for him. And after, after, after weeks went by, he, we, we, went to, uh, we went to Cleveland and cut a couple records there. One was called uh, Which One Will It Be? Which is a collector's item if you happen to have it out there. Which one? Which one? We brought it out on Willet, we brought it out on Blue Star, okay. and then he got a deal for a set on Coral Records. Okay. Which one will it be came out on that record. Okay. When did you hook up with Nick Sensi? Shortly thereafter. Okay. Shortly thereafter. How did he find out about you? Uh, he heard, I don't know if, I don't know if Elmer Willett approached him to begin with and said, you know, I've got this group and they're, you know, they're interested in recording, but, uh, I didn't remember, uh, meeting Nick Sensi and Herb Cohen. When did the group become the Vogues? Probably shortly after we met with Nick Sensi and he wanted to record some more stuff with us. I don't think they, they had an idea for a name. I think the, they tell me that the Vogue's name came from the fact that Elmer Willett owned the Vogue's, the Vogue Terrace, which uh, burnt down eventually, yeah. And somebody said, what, what's a Vogue? What does that mean? Well, you know, in Vogue means currently, in time, with, with what's going on at the time. So it kind of worked out. It was, a, it was a good name. Well, we brought out... Uh, we brought out "You're the One" in '65, and, and that was under that was under the Vogues. One thing I found about the music business, Jason, is that you always get surprises. Like things just happen, and you, after a while, you look back and you say, "If that wouldn't have taken place, we wouldn't have had this success. We wouldn't have met that producer, or we, you know." And it just like things fall into place. You never expect them. I think that's what made for me. That's what made the the music business really interesting. And to turn around when, he, when Nick sense he wanted us to do. Uh, you're the one. We thought you're the one. And it turns out Petula Clark wrote it. Tony Hatch. Tony Hatch and Clark. And she never released it as a single when Lars came out. And we met her one time in California. We went out to record and she happened to be, or we happened to be, and she thanked us for you're the one. And we thanked her. I said, no, no. no. She, she said, no, no. You have to understand. I didn't bring that out because I heard your your song, your version of it first. So I thought that's the version that's going to make me some money, you know. There's a studio above the National Park. That's where we did the recording. As I recall, the story goes that Nick Sensi started showing it around to different radio stations. Mm-hmm. Told them what a you know new group, good sound. You guys are going to love this. This is going to be a hit. And he went to uh, he went to KQV. And uh, anyhow, Sensi said, uh, "I want you to play this brand new song." Da 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 da. da. And he said, "No, it's not. That's not. That's not a hit. That doesn't sound like a hit to me." And he said, "I'm telling you, this is a hit record. You got to play it." And he said, <laughs> "Sensi said they're done." down at KQV downtown and he since he said I'm not leaving your office until you until you tell me you're going to play it so he said I just went over and laid down on the floor against the wall in, in, uh, in the studio 
And uh, finally, uh, the disc jockey said, okay, we'll play it. Disc jockeys had such power back then. They didn't like you, or they didn't like somebody in your group, or they just didn't like you, period. And they wouldn't play your record. They would see that other disc jockeys didn't play it either. They had a way of just killing a record, regardless of how how, how good it was, you know. And uh, one thing that we've always learned from that was later on, as, as the Vogues, Whenever we would travel and go out and do shows, whether it was a club or, a, or you know, some auditorium, or we always, like if we were going to be gone for a week, we'd go in and, and meet the owner of the place we were performing and said to him, you know, one or two days this week, we want to go out and go to the different radio stations and say hello to the disc jockeys and meet them and thank them for playing our records. And that's something we did everywhere we went. Because that's how important we knew those guys were, you know, and they appreciated it too. You know, you might do a, a um, five or you know, five or six minute interview, maybe sign some autographs and thank them again. We thought that was a good way of continuing to build a relationship with these guys that had a lot of power in playing your music. So it it, it worked, and we continued to do that forever. We're talking with Hugh Geyer, the original lead tenor of the Vogues, a group from Turtle Creek formed in the 1960s that had more than 20 top 100 hits on the Billboard charts. There is a new CD out. It's called The Vogues, at Cohen C, the complete singles and more, and you can get it at omnivorerecordings.com. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, and we'll be back in 30 seconds. Support for this broadcast comes from Strifler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Strifler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Strifler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Strifler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifler's.com or call 4 And now more of our interview with Hugh Geyer, the original lead tenor of The Vogues. We're talking about the new CD called At Cohen C, The Complete Singles and More, which you can buy from omnivorerecordings.com. The biggest show that I remember shortly after, uh, it had to be 1965, uh, when uh, You're the One was released. Mm -hmm. And we went to uh, Detroit, Michigan, for a benefit for, um, oh, what the heck was his name? It has, has the Children's Hospital and all. Oh, and Danny Thomas. Danny Thomas. Okay. And he was at the benefit for his show. Yeah. Met him backstage and, uh, but we didn't have, we didn't have a band. Yeah. You know, we just went out there and we would lip sync and we, we lip sync You're the One and the audience, this in, I think this was in Cobo Hall in Detroit. Yeah. Just exploded. It was the biggest reaction we've ever got. Say, well, we think we must be, we must really be good, or this is a success of showing that we're, we're doing the right thing. We had to be exited out of the building to our car, and uh, our manager at that time heard, got us in, and uh, one, one of the kids came and jumped on the hood of the car and broke the antenna off the car, just trying to, you know, wrapping on the windows and waving and stuff. And that was a, that's an experience that we never anticipated coming. And when, when it did happen, you know, the whole way home driving home to Pittsburgh. It was like, boy, we must be something. Did you see the reaction of that crowd? You know, that was a good, that was a good time. When You're the One came out in 65, we all had day jobs. I was a draftsman for an architectural firm down in Pittsburgh. So we all had day jobs. On weekends, Elmer Willett would pick us up and he'd take us out and, and, and do, do shows. And, and yeah, Cleveland, Youngstown, uh, once in a while, maybe up into upper, upper, not in New York City, but, uh, down not, not too far below West Virginia. 
because uh, you know you you go out and you do a show on a uh, <laughs> you get picked up after after work on Friday and take you out to do a job on Saturday maybe Saturday and Sunday if we were lucky and had to be back at work on Monday get back home because the next morning you got to get up and go to work yeah after after you're the ones started picking up and was getting more and more airplay and so forth the four of us got together and said uh, why don't we try doing this full time what can, what else can happen and so went home and told my wife we're, we're quitting our jobs we're going to do this full time we don't know what the, the future lies we don't we only had one so-called hit record you're the one and she was very, quite upset and I said I have to do this I don't want to go down the road a few years and kick myself that I didn't take a chance so <laughs> the next thing we turned around five o'clock world came out fortunately. You're the one went top four. And five o'clock went, I think, top four. And then we turned up and we come up with Magic Town. One, two, three, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this can't be happening. I, I know a lot of one-hit wonders, you know, and how did this happen? How did those three songs at the right time, at the right place, with the right people, and, and uh, that, that really surprised me how, how, how fast this business moves and what wonderful or sad things can happen to, to uh, four, four guys from, from Turtle Creek, you know? In the beginning with Coe and C and the first few hit records and hit records, we had Bill as the lead singer, and then we had three background vocalists who just did oohs and ahs and you know never sang lyrics at all. You know, uh, I would throw uh, I would throw in some answering parts on the on the tenor on the tenor part and. Uh, that, that sound, a real quick story, went to, went to Cleveland to record. I have a little liner note on a, on a CD from this guy from Cleveland was a guitar player, and he played on our very first session in Cleveland. He mentions later on that he liked the sound that the voices had and how well he knew how hard it was to keep working at that to, to achieve that particular sound. We did work very hard at, at, the, at the harmony parts and then started, instead of doing oohs and ahs, actually doing four-part harmony singing lyrics, you know. And Bill might be, uh, step forward and, and, and do a solo part and then the rest of us would join in. And it turned out years later that the fellow that played guitar on the Cle- Cleveland session ended up being the producer of, of the Vogues. Once again, things happen, you know? Yeah. Met him and we started recording out in California. Good. He was a he was a singer, uh, struggling, wanted to be a, a hit singer too. Was pretty good, had a couple hits, but then he started producing, uh, produced like Andy Williams and, you know, a lot of, you know, once again, harmony guys, you know? And he really was uh, quite taken back about uh, how well we sang together, you know, and, and was able to harmonize. So the Vogues didn't want to, the Vogues didn't want to be hits. We, we didn't want to have, we always wanted to have a hit record but before that we just wanted to record it was cool you know you're in high school it's cool you're making records you know to to to, to be able just to do that i told one guy one time i told the fact i told the producer i was talking about i said i said dick we just wanted to make records that's what we wanted to do he said you can't make any money making records i said what are you talking about he said records sell who you are they get you the shows they get you the next producers. They get you the best musicians. You know, you benefit by, you know, to go in. I was happy to go in a recording studio and make music. You just can't, you can't do that. And I'm, I'm glad that we were mature enough to see that we hit on something. I told T.J. Lubinsky one time, and he said uh, about our harmony. And I said, I'll tell you something right now. You give us a song that we sang. We'll sing it right now for you, and it will be exactly the harmony that you heard on that record. That's what we do. And that's what we always continue to do. We did uh, 
Dick Clark's bandstand. He later on he moved to the West Coast. Oh, he was still in Philly then. Yeah, he's okay. in Philly. We did Mike Douglas out okay. of Philadelphia. We did rock and roll shows like uh, Shindig, yeah. Hullabaloo, uh-huh. you know those shows. And then we did uh, and the, and the, the story that I always tell. Like people come up to us from Turtle Creek and say they, they say if you make it on Ed Sullivan. You've really made it. So later on, I talked to him and some other people and said, we're going to be on the Sullivan Show. He said, really? He said, yep. Next Sunday, it's live from New York. We're going to go up on a Thursday and spend some time uh, getting things put together with the band and stuff. Tune in, I think it's 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. So we went up and did the show. Came back, and the next day, a couple days later, I saw the guy, and he said, you told me you were going to be on the Sullivan Show. I said, well, he said, yeah. I didn't see you. I watched the whole thing, and you weren't on there at all. Turned out, KDKA did the Children's Hospital Telethon live from Pittsburgh. You know, it so was, the only place it did yeah, it was Pittsburgh. Yeah, we preempted the, the Ed Sullivan Show. Then we did, like... Uh, did I hear that you did the Tonight Show, too? Well, did the Tonight Show. Yeah. We did uh, uh, Glenn Campbell had his own show then. Uh, Red Skelton had a show. Um, all the all the current shows, and, and, of course, meeting the people that are on those shows was always... I never thought I'd ever meet Flip Wilson, you know. No. Funny guy, good guy. <laughs> on the uh, on the Glenn Campbell show, one of the other guests was uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Cowboys, man. I grew up with yeah. them on TV. Yeah. I got to meet them, you know. But, uh, nice people. Just opp- opportunities that uh, we never thought would happen. Television shows we used to watch ourselves. I think we were with Cohen C. from uh, three years, uh, 68. 1968, we moved uh, to Co- uh, from Cohen C out to uh, Reprise. And Cohen C was a pretty small. Yeah, yeah. Was that a problem getting distribution of the records? I think what made it easier is Herb Herb Cohen and Nick Sensi, their company. They were called Rack Jobbers. Okay. They put yeah. they put the, uh, the they go into the record stores, yeah. which there was hundreds of them at the time. Yeah. You know, rec- National Record Mart. All they pull out the uh, certain ones, put the new people in, and they get had distribution rights for a lot of other. Their labels, and they had access, of course, to Cohen State Records too. So I think that kind of helped helped a great deal. To understand, we were recording above the National Record Mart with the five-piece pickup band. You know, I always remember we went out to. A, well, to be honest, uh, the first recording we did, I can't think of the name of it for for uh, Warner Brothers. We went up to New York, and uh, Dick Glasser, the, the guy that ended up being the the. Uh, Individual that that got picked, he, he would he would he would select music for us too. Okay. You know what, what he thought would fit our, fit our voices and stuff. So he brought the tapes up to the the instrumental tapes up to New York, and we put the put the vocals on up there, and it did absolutely nothing. And what surprised us, like, oh boy, here we go, change record companies. Now we got to fight our way back to the top again because nothing's happening with Warner Brothers. Well, we only had one release. Went back to the studios in California and recorded Turn Around, Look at Me. There is someone We're talking with Hugh Geyer, the original lead tenor of The Vogues. You can get the new CD at Co and C the complete singles, and more by going to omnivorerecordings.com. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. Back for a final few minutes in 30 seconds. Are you aware that currently 20% veterans, regardless of era served, suffer from PTSD alone, and an average of 20 veterans commit suicide daily? So if you're a veteran suffering with these issues and need to talk, Call Operation Vet Now or OVN at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or visit opvetnow.com. 
Org. And now back for a final few minutes with Hugh Geyer, the original lead tenor of the Vogues. You can get the new CD at Cohen C, the complete singles and more at omnivorerecordings.com. I, I left the group in 73, just got done, tired of traveling and being away. And, and then one year later, uh, Don Miller, the other, bar- the other baritone, he, he stayed yeah, he stayed a year after I left, and he, he left too. But, uh, yeah, we had good experiences. Uh, somebody said to me one time, what, of all the stuff that you did and all the people you met and all the places you sang, what's your most memorable experience? And I said, well, we were invited to do a fundraiser for the United States Olympic Committee. Don't hold me to this. I believe it was at the University of Virginia. And Bob Hope was the MC, Les Brown's band, you know, Les Brown's band of renown. Went down and did the show. Halfway through, there was a, I can't hear, there's a, a woman, female singer of a popular time, uh, Marilyn May was her name. A couple other acts on. Uh, and halfway through the show, uh, Bob Hope comes out and stops. We're going to pause a minute because we have a very special guest with us tonight. Stand up and, and take a bow. It was Neil Armstrong, the astronaut. They just got left out of quarantine. They were in quarantine for three weeks after they came back from the moon. And he was the, he was the guest, surprise guest. After the show at one of the hotels, they had a, an after show party or something. And I'll never forget, I'm standing at the bar all by myself. Somebody steps in next to me, I look over, and it's Neil Armstrong, the astronaut. First thing that entered my mind was, I'm a kid from Turtle Creek, Pennsylvania. Here's a guy that walked on the moon. How, how do I deal with that, you know? He introduced himself, and I said to him, you know, I, I, nice meeting you. And I said, uh, because of my singing career, I said, I've, I've given out a few autographs in my time. <laughs> but, but I hope you wouldn't mind if, if you would... Give me an autograph of yours. Yeah. And he, on the, we had, had invitation cards that were about this big to get into this function. He flipped it over and he wrote on it, To Hugh, continued success, you deserve it. Neil Armstrong, oh. Apollo 11. It's hanging on a wall inside that room right there. I'll show you another surprise, you know, another yeah. surprise. Just, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll never be sorry for doing and making the decisions that we did. I think it was a good opportunity to release that CD that, that showed some additional songs that the public never heard. You know, it's an interesting collection of songs for Vogue fans that want to hear some stuff that they never got to hear before because of the ones not being released. When I got contacted to do it, the the plans were already made, and I thought, well, good idea. You know, we'll see what happens with it. Got another phone call from a guy. He was doing the liner notes for this. He wanted me to give him some background information or some, you know, whatever. So we talked on the phone a couple of different times. Got the information that they were going to bring it out. Quite a surprise, but because uh, I don't, it, it, I, I still get, it's, it's funny, I still get requests through the mail for an autograph from a Vogue fan. Yeah. You know, just I remember back in the day, da, 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 da. And I got one, that just I just put it in the mail yesterday. He, he had written me last year or sometime for an autograph and I got another friend from the same guy yesterday and he said uh, I, I, we're going to have another baby and it's a girl and I don't want any problems between my two daughters so the one has an autograph and the, the newborn coming doesn't, she'll need one too so I does this hold up, listening to these songs again does it, do they hold up for you? not as much as I would like them to have Okay. and I'll, I'll give you the reason yeah I'm going to be 82 in a couple of months, mm-hmm. and my hearing is depleting. But I'm having a problem with my one ear where it's uh, there's some pitch problems that I'm hearing that, according, according to him, aren't really there. It's something that's happening in my ear oh. that tells me that I do a, 
I'm an army, I'm an army vet, and I do, I do military funerals. And the guy, this was about a year and a half ago, maybe two, he played, uh, did the bugle for the service. It was sounding horrible. It was clashing, and it was sharp, and it was flat, and it, I thought it was the, the instrument. And here I find out now that, and recognize more honestly to myself that it's, it's me. It's, it's what I'm, now I can't do that anymore because the clashes that I'm hearing are wrong. And it's disturbing to, to have to deal with that after all these years. So I'll deal with it and it'll be what it is. And uh, according to the audiologist that did my hearing aids, uh, said that there, he didn't believe there was anything that could be done about it, you know. So I would like to follow that up with some knowledgeable somebody that says, oh, that's your problem. <laughs> we can take care of that. Yeah. And get in there and do whatever they have to do on my inner ear, maybe. I don't know. But uh, at my age, no, it's not It's not that big a deal. But uh, some of the records, not on this CD, the songs, but I started listening three or four years ago. I would pick out certain songs that I enjoyed for certain reasons. Like Bill Burkett, Bill Burkett could sing. He took voice lessons when he was in middle school. I really enjoyed what he would do vocally with a song. And that was our interview with Hugh Geyer, the original lead tenor of The Vogues. You can get the new CD at Cohen C, the complete singles and more, by going to omnivorerecordings.com. It's also available on Amazon and at record stores. I'd like to thank Hugh Geyer, his wife Maria, and their stepson Tom for making this interview possible. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.